Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking with Stephanie Olson. Stephanie is a speaker, podcaster, CEO, and chief executive officer of the Set Me Free Project, which is a prevention education organization on human trafficking, social media safety, and healthy relationships. This is an absolutely incredible conversation, and I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed As Stephanie shares today, she shares her mission that each person has an intrinsic value that cannot be changed. She is so passionate about her work on teaching resiliency in life and leadership, and she's inspired people all across the United States in her conversational and very humorous and blunt direct style, which I absolutely love. This conversation will inspire and empower you to see what is possible as well Stephanie shares her story of living with years of parent abandonment, eating disorders, alcoholism, and domestic and sexual violence. She overcame through determination, faith, and resiliency. She turned her trauma into triumph. This is literally one of my favorite episodes because she is living the embodied living of this work and turning our pain into our purpose And it's such a powerful conversation. I know you're going to absolutely love it. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. I'm so thrilled to get to meet you and have this conversation with you today. Thank you, Marcia. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So can you just tell everyone quickly where you are from? I, well, I'm originally from the Chicago area um, in the States and Currently, I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and absolutely love it here. The weather isn't always fabulous, but the people and um, the life is is awesome. So that's yeah. beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. There are so many parts of your story that I want to dive into to let people to know who you are. But there's just a couple things that um, jumped out first, and. What I want to know is like turning trauma into triumph. Let me just tell you, like you're speaking my language to the T and I loved hearing that. So tell me, what does turning trauma into triumph mean to you? Absolutely. Well, I, you know, trauma, everybody experiences trauma and it looks different for everybody. And for some people, it could be, you know, I was in a car accident and it's an acute trauma situation where it's a one-time event, but it could also be, um, you know, that, that chronic trauma where you are experienced that you had experienced sexual abuse in your family or things like that. But trauma is trauma is trauma and everyone deals with it differently and it really kind of manifests in our life differently. 
But a lot of people, you know, I, I hear kind of the big, the big phrase I hear a lot lately is stop it. You're triggering me. Don't trigger me. But the reality is that triggering of trauma is a really important piece of learning how to deal and heal with your trauma. And when you can heal through that, you can actually take that trauma and move it into something that brings you tremendous success, that brings you triumph, because then you can use it to um, really benefit others. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. I didn't build a domestic violence shelter. You can use that in a world of accounting. You can use that in a world of whatever it may be, but that you take that trauma and through your compassion, through your story, through your experience, you can really help others walk through theirs. Wow. There's a great way to start a podcast. That is fantastic. (laughs) Absolutely love what you're saying. There's so much about like the big T, little T. We talk all about this, like what's the big T, what's the little T for trauma and almost this comparison that I can't complain because I don't have it nearly as bad as what she does, but we are completely negating, like it's all personal, right? It's all personal, what, whatever we've gone through and whatever meaning we attach to that is, is what's real. That's what's real. That is what's real. Yeah. That's so true. But avoiding it, like here's a, here's, we are, we are, we are a culture of push it down. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can say this, Mm -hmm. I think uh, I am in the generation where that was, we never talked about difficult things. We literally under the carpet. Why would we do that? <laughs> Why would we make ourselves feel bad? <laughs> it's much better to just put a smile on, pretend That's right. like it's not an issue. And then nobody will know, except everybody knows. Except <laughs> that is exactly right. And I think that one of the, the biggest, um, I don't know, disadvantages we have as a society as a whole is we put on these, you know, amazing lives. Nobody knows what's going on behind closed doors. We, um, you know, load up our credit cards so that we can live like the Joneses and all of this stuff. When the reality is we may be dying inside and how in the world do we get through that if we're not willing to be honest about mm-hmm. what that looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so good. That's so true. So as we talk about um, the healing and I've actually, I've been coming through a series in my podcast where I've been talking a lot about healing mm-hmm. and how we have to go through this healing, yeah. many, many layers of healing phase. And I think there's a misconception that, you know, once you've done the healing work, it's good. You're done. Right. And right. I'm assuming you have something you would like to share on that. (laughs) You know, it's a lifelong journey and that's really important to remember. Um, You go through these stages of healing. So, you know, I I've overcome this piece right now, but that doesn't mean that you won't revisit it. Mm-hmm. And there are times in your life where something does trigger you, so to speak, and then boom, you're right back there. But you don't have to camp there. Mm-hmm. And it's learning how to take that moment and say, okay, 
I recognize those feelings. I own those feelings, but I'm going to move forward because those feelings don't own me. And Mm -hmm. that's really what it's all about. Yeah. I think that that's the, that is such an important piece on healing. And I laugh when you said camp there, because I always say that we can travel through those areas, but I don't have Mm -hmm. to unpack by real estate, move in and live there. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly right. Just traveling through. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. There are some places, I mean, even when we really do travel that you drive through and you think, yeah, that is not a place I want to stop. I'm not going to stop there. And so we have to make those decisions in our life too. And and those are choices that we make. Mm -hmm. And we always have the ability to choose. So what do we do when it doesn't feel like we have a choice? Because I'm sure that there's times in your life, we haven't even gone to your story, but there, (laughs) there were times in your life where maybe it didn't feel like you had a choice. What, what would you give as advice to somebody who says, but I don't have a choice in what's happening? Well, there are some things that you truly don't have a choice in. Um, you know, when I, my story starts very early and I was abandoned by my biological father, that was not something I chose. That was not something that I could control. But once we start on our own journey, particularly as adults, uh, because we don't have a a ton of choice in some areas when we're children. And, and often that's where a lot of the trauma occurs um, when we're dealing with trauma. But as adults, we do make some very strong choices in our lives, even though we may not think that we are making the choice or have the ability to make the choice. And I think that's, again, where our feelings really drive those emotions really drive our understanding of what a choice is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really learning the difference between our feelings and those emotions and really tough decisions. They're not easy things to do and they don't always feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. but they are important to move forward. I think when you make those tough choices may not feel good. And so you might think, I don't have a choice. No, you do. It just doesn't feel great right now. But I guarantee you, once you break through that, then you will feel incredibly amazing because sometimes you have to go through that discomfort mm-hmm. to um, bring that that healing about. Oh, 100%. 100%. And as you've done that, I love how you've mentioned that because one of the quotes that really served me very, very early when I started to see my story differently was um, Stephen Covey's quote. I refer to it all the time, but it's like, you are not a product of your circumstances. You are a product of your decisions. And it's like, okay, I can't control X, Y, Z, but I can control how I respond. How can I respond differently? How can I look at this differently? And it's amazing because when we do that, we create change, even if the situation itself isn't changing because we're changing. That's right. That's right. That's so true. I actually um, just went through something very, um, it was a, it was a a work situation and um, it was very difficult situation had to involving an individual and, um, 
it seemed at the time that everything was falling apart. And so there were a couple of weeks where it's like, okay, am I even going to make it through? Is my organization going to make it through? I'm not sure this is going to, to be something that we can get through. But literally the next day after the very difficult thing, there was a whole different perspective on everything that was happening. But that was in part um, and sometimes it's literally cutting some of that toxic out mm-hmm. of your life in certain areas. And when toxic is gone, you didn't even realize that you were breathing in the toxins until you're no longer breathing in the toxins. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. And, and so I think sometimes you have to get through that place and then you can look at that and go, okay, now we can move forward. Mm-hmm. but it's uncomfortable until that point. And it's interesting because there's so many things that you've said there, but like, we don't recognize the toxic things and people around us. I know where I was at. I, I definitely surrounded myself with a lot of toxic people yeah. because I, I didn't know how to change anything. Right. And, but then there also was a very humbling moment where I can recognize that I can be the toxic person they, because yes. That's ownership. Like it's okay to admit. And I think that we have to own those parts of ourselves when that shows up as well. Exactly. I always, I always say, you know, there's always um, the crazy one in the family. And if you don't know who that is, it's probably you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. That's really good. That is really good. Oh, So you have had so many, like when I look at, um, your backstory, you've had a lot of different things that people would consider heavy and challenging all that has happened, but I can tell without even diving into it, that you recognize that's made you who you are. Like that's, that's who you are. And what you're here to do. So I would love it wherever you feel comfortable. If you would just love to give some context to your backstory and everything that you've come through. Absolutely. Um, I always start with, I was born and that is scary for people because they're like, okay, how long is this story going to be? I, but I promise you it's not too bad. Uh, but I was born to an incredibly amazing woman, insecure, very young and a very, um, violent and controlling man. And so my, my entrance into the world was definitely very interesting because they were not only, they, not only should they not have been together, but, um, they, they were a biracial couple. And so my mom was white. My dad was, my father was black. And so here I am in 1969 at a place where a biracial child isn't very well accepted. And, um, and then my biological father was extremely abusive and so abused my mother mercilessly. Um, and although I did not get physically abused by my biological father, I was neglected and, um, he actually, he and his family actually, um, I don't know, forced is the right word, but, um, manipulated my mom to actually 
neglect me until she was like, I cannot do this anymore. You know, there were, there were situations like that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So she escaped from that relationship when I was only a year old, which is incredible. And, um, so proud of her for doing that. But as a little girl, you know, all I'm seeing is, wow, my biological father, because he never contacted me after that, no birthday cards, no Christmas cards, there was no contact. And so as a little girl, I'm thinking, okay, my own biological father, my own father doesn't love me. I must not be very lovable. Mm -hmm. And if my own father doesn't find me worthy of a phone call or worthy of a card, I must not be very worthy. And so that really set the trajectory of my life to find that value and that worth and that love in ways that were not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, We moved in with my grandparents and they were amazing. And my mom actually met and married my dad who adopted me when I was six. And I always um, differentiate between a fa- my father and my dad, because anybody, any male can be a father. It takes a very special man to be a dad. Great point. But I was also, um, here he was a, um, he was in his thirties, early thirties. Now he's got this Insta family with a biracial child. I mean, it was a difficult time and I always wanted to be daddy's little girl, but I wasn't, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that, um, you know, it was, a, it was very difficult. And so I literally, even though I had a great upbringing for the most part, I literally became the cliche looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, and so in, in my junior high years, I struggled with eating disorders, um, anorexia and bulimia. And then in high school, I found alcohol and that was just everything. It, it made me feel prettier, funnier, you know, it was, it was all the things. And I always drank a little differently than my friends. Mm-hmm. I always, I was looking for that next drunk all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my grandparents every day at four o'clock would have a Manhattan four o'clock on the dot every day. And I loved those maraschino cherries soaking in the Manhattan at four years old. I remember this vividly. Didn't want the ones out of the fridge. Those no. tasted different. The ones in the Manhattan soaking with alcohol, that's what I wanted. So there was always this, um, this, you know, I was predisposed to being an alcoholic. Uh, what I found out years later was through like, um, a ancestry type search. I found out that my biological father actually died of alcoholism and related diseases. So definitely a part Mm -hmm. of that world. So drinking just became a part of who I was college drugs. You know, there was just all of those things. And again, living my life, just looking to be, you know, who's going to love me, who's going to fill that. And, um, did some, some things that just, you know, it was very promiscuous, very, there was just a lot of that desire to be loved. 
And in my early twenties met the man of my dreams. He was a drug dealer. You know, I, I really say, don't go after the drug dealers. That's just my advice. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's my advice. No, he was not the man of my dreams. And I wound up, um, in a, this, a similar situation as my mom Mm -hmm. reliving that, um, abuse and, um, domestic violence, very emotional and verbal violence. It was, there was some physical, but it was really most mostly emotional and verbal. And, um, fortunately had an, I actually wound up in the hospital for a week, um, because I was just exhausted. I was tired and I took some pills with whiskey chaser and it was the best thing in my life because through that journey of, um, hospitalization, I was able to see, some of the things that were going on and, um, and left my abusive husband and really started a journey of healing then. However, I was still drinking every day and, um, it took years to really recognize that I was an alcoholic, that it was, um, something that was truly hindering my life. You know, in my mind, I didn't drink under a bridge. I didn't have a bag. You know, I was, there was no way I would, I mean, I drank daily, but I didn't drink in the morning and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these justifications that I'm not an alcoholic, this isn't me. And yet I was drinking so much that every night I was blacking out. And so really by the grace of God, you know, some people in my life helped me become sober and it was a tough, tough journey, but one that absolutely needed to happen. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. You know, it's, it really does show, yes, you take it back, but Mm -hmm. like back to childhood, but we do continue to repeat patterns absolutely in our life until we can face them head on and yep. see it for what it is and recognize. And there's a lot of people who are chasing a feeling, a comfort, a something yep. that they didn't feel that they had in childhood, Correct. whatever that was, but it's, we mask it with everything else and we don't even see it until all of a sudden everything just keeps getting stripped away and stripped away. And then it's like, okay, now I can't not see it. It's right here now. Exactly. And there's all of that shame and blame that comes with that. And we do tend to, um, it was really interesting because I I run a nonprofit and we do prevention education on human trafficking and healthy relationships. And It was probably three to four years ago that I had been doing this work for years and I was listening to, I was actually presenting with somebody who was doing a trauma piece to our presentation. And I was struck like a ton of bricks that I had been raped in high school and college four times from different people and did not even recognize it as rape because I had blamed 
myself. And so those are things that sometimes we even have to take a look at some of those trauma situations and look at them for what they truly are Mm -hmm. and accept that because that's sometimes it's a very hard thing to accept. And then we can move forward through that. Wow. I, I appreciate how vulnerable you're being. I really do, because I can guarantee you, we have people who are listening who did not put those things together. Correct. Yeah, they did. not. Absolutely. Because shame is very powerful. Shame is incredibly powerful. It's a, it's, it's one of the emotions that, I mean, I shame loves secrecy. Yes. So one of the things I love to talk about is shame because yes. the more we talk about it, the more we can like uncover it That's right. and open that up. But I want to share, this makes me think back and again, differing opinions, different places. But when we first started to discuss like the Me Too movement, I had somebody, I had a male who I actually looked up to and I knew, I knew really well. I'll never forget him saying like, what is the problem with all these women? Why would they not just say at the time? Because now they're coming back. And I remember sitting there and I said, you know, did I ever tell you that I was assaulted at 12 by four, Uh, four boys? And he literally was like, well, no. And I said, I was. And that was one of the most like incredibly difficult experiences for me. And I remember telling my parents and telling we had police and things were involved. And I was a kid, like I was a kid when it happened. Wow. And I'm so sorry. We, it's, you know what, again, it's made me who I am. It's, it's yeah. like, it's yeah. made me who I am. And in that era, it was discussed that basically once this is done, we will never discuss this again. That's right. It was we not will never like, speak of it. No, we'll never speak of it again. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting there, my sister brought this up to me recently <clears throat> And she said, don't you remember? I remember sitting there going like, wow, she's obviously done something really bad if we're never going to talk about it again. Wow. That's what shame can do. Yes. And that's what shame can do. And I remember subconsciously going like, okay, that was really bad of me because we can't talk about this ever again. So there was never an environment for women to share. They weren't always believed. And we also, there was such shame attached to it that you assumed you did do something wrong for it to happen. So I can just think of how many women listening who think back to different circumstances and things that have happened, not even recognizing that they were assaulted. So often. And, and I think that is part of the problem, um, you know, with, with sex trafficking, for example, mm-hmm. the majority of trafficked individuals do not self-identify as being trafficked. So if you don't even recognize <laughs> that you have been whatever, add the phrase behind that, mm-hmm. who are you telling? And even if, you know, I, I think about, there are certain places, obviously, that I'm going to share my story mm-hmm. and certain people that I'm going to tell. And the mindset that we should just be out there telling everybody, you know, just so you know, this is what happened to me when I was in high school. That's just not reality. No. And um, and again, it puts the onus on the survivor. Mm -hmm. So why didn't you come forward? Why didn't you, well, how about why didn't, why did you do what you did perpetrator? 
instead of blaming it on the individual who survived the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, that is such a valid point. It's so, so good. Um, we're in this space in, again, going back to choices, going back to, you know, how do we share things that are difficult like this? And as I always refer to Brene Brown and she's like, yes, we, I love Brene Brown. and people have to earn the right to hear your story. That's like there correct. are parts of my story that will never make it yep. to any podcast, any book, any live, because they don't serve a purpose. And I believe right. that every story that we share if we cannot share it from a space of leaving everyone in integrity as best as we can, I can't control how someone's going to perceive my story, but I can control how I share it. And people have to earn that right to hear it. But if I can't share it and leave people in integrity, then I'm not sharing it. And it doesn't serve a purpose. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. It doesn't serve a purpose. So even in this space, as you're sharing, you know, going through like you can look back and see how many times did I live or relive a situation where I was searching for that feeling that I never got as a child. Like how many times was I searching for it, whether it was alcohol, whether it was control and eating and, or whether it was partners, it's, it's amazing. I, and this is where I really feel deep so strongly is that we continue to relive circumstances until we face them head on and recognize wait, what I'm the one repeat pattern here. I'm not blaming. This is not a blame, but I'm the repeat pattern in here. So what do, if I want something different, what do I have to do differently? That's beautiful. I mean, really, that's exactly right. And that takes a lot of humility. Yeah. That takes a lot of introspection. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely not easy. And, you know, I know people who just have the hardest time looking at themselves and saying, okay, I could make a change here, or this is something I maybe, you know, I'm I'm the common denominator. <laughs> this keeps happening. Let's look at this. There are people who just and really, again, that that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Refuse to do that. Mm-hmm. That's bondage, really. I mean, there's so much freedom in being able to say, okay, that's probably not my best, you know, event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me take a look at that and see what I can do differently and, and make those choices to, to live life in a more integrous way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very hard to look. It's very hard to look at ourselves and go, okay, why, why did I keep doing that? Like, why yeah. did I keep doing that? But I think that it, this, the sooner we can do that and not attach blame to it actually yes. as neutral as possible, right? It's the meaning yes. that we give it that keeps us stuck and do that and right. recognize that, okay, I do want something different for my life. So what decision can I make that's different? moving forward. Right. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You said something very early on that I want to come back to. And I love this piece. When we start to understand our stories and what we have lived through, we can pay it forward and help others with people who have never lived our story. And I mm-hmm. think that was a big eye opener for me because I felt like 
I was only here to help support parents who had dealt with teen substance abuse. And mm-hmm. this is not even close to what I do now, but it's, right. Just, right. <laughs> it's not even close. Right. It's, and I think that's because we can learn how to share parts of ourselves that make us relatable to others. And we can share those lessons that we've learned. So you are doing some incredible work and you hinted at it briefly, but I'd love it if you'd share the kind of work that you do now and what that means to you. Absolutely. The Set Me Free Project is an organization that I founded, co-founded actually, and it is prevention education on human trafficking, social media safety, and healthy relationships. We have a curriculum from third grade through college age for youth. And then we have a curriculum for adults of every facet of the community, because there is a lot of, you know, everybody thinks they know what human trafficking is Mm -hmm. and it's the movie taken and it's kidnapping and shipping overseas. But the reality of human trafficking is that it is in our daily lives. It's in our backyard And it's traffickers building relationships with our kiddos, young adults on social media. And then that grooming process can last, you know, a year or more. And then I'm going to ask you to do something you would never do normally. And you are going to think you chose it. And you are going to think that this is something you're doing because you love me. You love that. You know, it is a totally different mindset than actually what we see on, you know, lifetime movies or things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we started that organization. My co-founder is no longer with the organization, but we have been doing this work and just impacting the lives of youth and families. And it's, it's pretty, pretty humbling and pretty incredible to see um, and and really on that prevention side, you know, we our mission is to stop human trafficking before it starts. On that prevention side, something that caught my eye when you said that is from grade three up, you are helping them with understanding like social media. I am almost afraid to yes. even ask this, <laughs> but I'm going to. Um, yes. What what is can you just paint a picture of what it's like and what we're seeing? Because I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, yeah, the movies glorify it, but we're talking about like people in our backyards, people in our, in our lives that we would never even fathom and imagine. And all you'd have to do is like touch on any recent news stories that that's right. It's like, it's just not shared. It's just not shared. And it's, It's so unfortunate because it almost feels like people are untouchable. So I'm like, tell me to stay on that one because yeah. I know that there's like, it's just wrong. It's really, really wrong. It is evil. It's evil. It's an evil industry. Yeah. I'll give you a, a story of a mom who called me small town in Nebraska. Um, idyllic family. If you were to look at that, their family picture, it's like the all American idyllic family. and young boy, 14 years old gaming, which our kids do Mm -hmm. and connected with a guy that they were gaming with. This was not a, you know, 40 year old man. And this is what I think people think this was somebody his age ish. So somebody a little bit older and they made a connection, continued to game, built a relationship. And then 
started to connect. They were in the same area and he wound up being sold um, to people throughout his community, still lived at home. I mean, there was no, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding that you have to be shipped somewhere. You have to be moved somewhere. Mm -hmm. A lot of these kiddos that are being trafficked are living right under mom and dad's roof and don't even recognize what's happening. And so that, that is what it can look like. And again, and that's a boy. We often think of girls as um, individuals being trafficked, but it can happen to boys and girls, men and women, all genders. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insidious. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being such a force in prevention and sharing and having these conversations, because again, we've opened up like I mean, social media is a beautiful thing. It's allowed us to connect to people. It's amazing. It really is. But it's also, I realize there's a very dark side to it too. And um, whether it's bullying online or comments, I see comments. Sometimes I've had Uh, comments mentioned and I'm like, I would never even say that to anybody, let alone. so mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very mean. Now throw a teenager who is so Mm -hmm. much more, um, sense sensitive or affected by yeah. comments. And it's just, it's so scary how it can unfold. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And wow. our goal is not to, you know, a lot of times parents think, Oh, I'm just going to take their phone away. I'm going to take it. No, we need to teach them how to safely navigate that. And that's the key. That's a great point. When we were, when our kids were growing up, we were just in that era of social media really just starting yeah, when they yeah. were getting phones. Um, I can't count how many times I took their phones away. I yeah. cannot count. Yeah. Um, yeah. Early I, on that. that worked really well, <laughs> but today no. all they need is Wi-Fi mm-hmm. to access all of this stuff. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, we're in a different world and that's why we need to be educated about it as parents as well, mm-hmm. because our kiddos have never known a life without social media. They have not. And so that makes their world very different than mm-hmm. what we were used to as kids. And mm-hmm. so we need to be educated about these things. We need to not, it's so easy to bury your head in the sand. It's warm in there. It's dark. It feels good. It's lovely being there, <laughs> but we do need to pull our heads out of the sand and learn these things. And, and that's what the set me free project does. We love to educate parents and just walk with them mm-hmm. because we want to be a resource, um, um, you know, along the way as well. I love that. That Thank you for sharing that. And that's so good because there is a responsibility to, as a parent to learn. I remember like, again, back, this is years ago, but Twitter was just starting. Facebook was just starting. Mm-hmm. And I actually went to like one of our local um, programs to just learn about social media. Cause I didn't know. And I yeah. didn't understand yeah. it. I can't tell you how many parents were like, that's ridiculous. Why? Who cares? I'm like, I just wanted to learn because I didn't understand. And I mean, it's a big part of what I do now, but I'm really grateful that I did learn it then. And you have to go that extra mile as a parent. You do. It's part of the responsibility. I'm sorry, but it is 
And if there's anything I've learned through so many different guests on this show that I've talked to, like grooming is real. It's very real. So can you explain what your definition meaning of grooming is and what that looks like? Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought that up because interestingly enough, our parent presentations, which we do webinars, I mean, it's really, you can do it in your jams, are the least attended presentations we give because parents think this is never going to happen to my kid. This (laughs) is not a, you know, what's the big deal? Grooming is real. And one of the things I think, because we're talking about manipulation, we're talking about things like fraud and coercion. If somebody is a good manipulator, you don't know you're being manipulated. And so so that's really important to understand. So the grooming process is really, you know, a lot of times we think of grooming, like we're grooming a dog, making them look pretty. And that's really what the grooming process is. It is taking somebody and making them what you want them to be. And so the first stage of grooming is targeting your, the individual that you're grooming. And so that can be done in a number of different ways, but when we're talking about social media, that can be done at a press of a button. Mm -hmm. Our kiddos are telling us everything that they need to know that we need to know if I'm a, if I'm speaking as a trafficker or as any type of predator, somebody who wants to do harm, all I have to do is pop on social media and find out everything I need to know. And our kids are not posting pictures of their chimichanga like I might be doing. That's not what they're doing. They're telling their deepest, darkest secrets because this social media is my friend. This is my journal. And they are telling the world um, about suicidality. They're telling the word world about their drug use, their all of the things. And so I'm lonely right now. I need a, a friend. So now as somebody who wants to do harm, I've targeted you and now I can move in and I can gain your trust. And I might do that by, Hey, what you like, I like you like chocolate cake. So do I, you want to visit California. So do I, and then I'm going to fill a need Mm -hmm. now filling a need of somebody, whether it's an emotional need, a psychological need, whatever that might be, or a physical need. When I fill a need of yours, that seemingly no one else in your life is filling, we create a strong bond. That's a really important piece. And those are the first three stages of grooming. So targeting, trusting, filling a need. Now, those first stages feel like, you know, the honeymoon phase. So if I'm pretending to be your um, partner, if I'm um, pretending to be uh, a mother figure, whatever it may be, and then I isolate and isolating can look something like, hey, your friends aren't around anymore. That's because I'm the only one who loves you. Notice nobody cares about you like I do. Then I sexualize you. Now, this can look like when we're talking about child sexual abuse, grooming is the same thing. So this can look like actually sexualizing um, in, a, in a physical way that it that can't be consensual because, you know, there's a age disparity, or it can be, I sexualize you as a product. So whatever I do, I'm going to make you some sort of a product to me. And then I maintain control. Mm 
Those are the stages of grooming and they can happen over a very long period of time. And people who are groomers are really good at it. And it's not overnight. Mm -hmm. They can do it for a year, two years, because they're, they have time. And a lot of times, not only do um, people who want to do harm groom the kiddos or whomever they're grooming, they groom the family as well. And so it's, it could be something where gosh, this was somebody in our life that I trusted that I, that I entrusted my kids to, or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. So that's the grooming process in a nutshell. We have seen a lot of familial trafficking where moms and dads are the traffickers, grandma and grandpas, and that grooming yes. process looks very different, but yeah, it's, it's evil. Yeah. I've heard that. And I did interview somebody where that was it it came from the family. It was the, it was within the family. And it was, I just remember like thinking, Oh my gosh, like it just yeah. understanding how this is actually really happening. And right. is it sure it makes us all uncomfortable, but yeah. this is the stuff we have it's, to talk about. It's reality. it's reality. And the majority of the reason stranger danger never worked with our kids. I mean, yeah, we don't want our kids walking up to a stranger and hugging someone on the street, but it's not the white van driving by our house that we need to fear. It is the people we know. Mm -hmm. And that's why stranger danger didn't work because it was not strangers that were doing these things. It's the people we know. Mm -hmm. And the majority of individuals who are trafficked know their trafficker like 85 plus percent know their trafficker before they are ever trafficked. Wow. 85 plus percent know their trafficker. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, There's something there. It's, I want to tie back to the very simple Brene Brown quote, but it's Mm -hmm. that the number one thing we want as humans is connection. That is the number one thing we want. We crave connections. And when you think of like, we are our most engaged and disengaged society Mm -hmm. ever. Oh, for sure. Right. We're so engaged, like our phones, it's Mm -hmm. just literally, you know, we're there all the time, but we're so disengaged from actual like people conversations in our real life. Yeah. And so if you throw a teen into that mix who is already feeling disconnected yes. from their, they just don't know where they fit in. Now all of a sudden somebody's giving them attention. Somebody is, somebody gets them, yes. even though it's a manipulative get, but they get right. them. Right. It's an easy slippery slope to fall into. Huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. wow. So this kind of work that you're doing, and I just honestly, thank you so much for explaining it and sharing and everything that you're doing, because I think that this is incredibly needed and very powerful. And I love the name, like the set me free project. This is a big part of what you do now. Yes. 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 Do you also do other, I mean, other things in your life and business, or is this primarily what you do? do way too much. So (laughs) I had a gut feeling. That's why I asked. (laughs) So yes, this is my day-to-day work. This is, this is my real world work, but then I do speak everywhere and I have a podcast called resilience in life and leadership. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, so those are a lot of my loves, um, 
and just getting to connect with people in that way. Um, but yeah. And then I'm a mom and a wife and uh, I have a fur baby. So all those other things, but yeah, I, I think, and they, they're very, you know, there's a lot of synergy between those. So Mm -hmm. I love to speak. I love to go wherever I'm called. And, um, and I think there's so many topics that people really need to hear. Um, but also that really can impact their life in a very positive way, whether it's their corporation or whether it's their personal life or there's so much there. And that topic of prevention is so important because nobody wants to talk about prevention. (laughs) People don't like to fund it. People don't like to, it's no fun. It's not sexy. It's not exciting, but it is everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I think that that's a fairly big blanket overhaul in the sense that we don't like to talk about prevention when really, if we could actually start to put some more (laughs) time and energy into prevention, we'd be so much better off in so many different ways. We are Mm -hmm. such a reactive society Mm -hmm. and we have got to start being very proactive in our lives. We do. We do. I think of this, I get very passionate about this when it comes to health because yeah. we're in this space of like expecting somebody to give us the pill to fix it. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I'm not, I realize many, there's many, many health issues. I'm not saying that, yes. but we also have, again, some ownership in what we do in our health and how we take care of ourselves. So I couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, resiliency in life. Of course you would speak on resiliency. Like that makes absolute (laughs) sense. What does resiliency mean to you? You know, um, I ask that in every podcast. (laughs) I love that. And I love the answers I get because they're, they're so varying, but they're all very similar because re being resilient is all about getting up when you're knocked down. Mm. And so often, um, we have this mindset of, of being resilient is, is just, oh, we've got it. We made it. We've overcome. We've arrived. No, it is about taking two steps forward and two steps back and then two steps forward again, because life is going to do that. And, and just like we talked about in the very beginning of this podcast that, you know, it's not about healing is not about, okay, I'm good. I'm done. I'm never going to have to address that ever again. That's not reality. We are going to have to address those things, but when we address them, maybe this time I'm not down as long Mm -hmm. and now I get back up quicker. And that's what resiliency means to me. I love that. I love that. I I say sometimes that the things that would knock me down for like a week at a time are like speed bumps now. Like, oh, exactly. I just tripped on that. I'm like, oh, there exactly. it is again. Exactly. Isn't that, and that's amazing. And that's progress. That's mm-hmm. what it's all about. Uh, there's an old saying in AA, you know, it's, it's progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. And I think so often we are always trying to perfect it mm-hmm. when that's never going to happen. And so mm-hmm. just be content and, and proud of the progress that you're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how much progress adds up when we really stop and, 
and look at it and look at those pieces. And that's where, you know, sometimes I'll have people say, well, that's like easy for you or you've done. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, you didn't, you missed the whole nine years before yeah, this. Right. <laughs> exactly. It took a lot of work getting here. So <laughs> yeah. People who are like, oh, I wish I could have what you have. Yeah. Well, then you're going to have to go through what I did. So you may not wish that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's going back to, again, I think there is a tremendous personal power in recognizing that what we have walked through has made us who we are and resisting it, resenting it, shaming it, judging it. It does nothing at all, except keep you exactly in that space. And for some people, that is where they will spend the majority of their life is in that space of anger, resentment, and yeah. all of those emotions. Yeah. And I, I can tell now, like there's zero judgment. I can tell within seconds in talking to somebody, it's like, oh, you're in the story. I like to refer to it as in yes. the story, like you're stuck in the story. Yes. And the one thing I can say as a victim of our stories is zero change happens there. Zero, zero, zero. That's not where the growth happens. Nope. No, no change happens. Mm -mm. And, and for some, that's okay. If that's what you want. And, and we sometimes can get like a secondary codependent, like hit by being in that. Oh, sure. Yeah. But again, we have to recognize there's to come a point where we recognize that, wait, this is not how I want my story to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I love the work that you're doing. I, I know this has been a very powerful conversation and I love everything that you are speaking and sharing and what you are doing. So where's the best way for people to connect and find you? I will make sure everything's in your show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's two great places. Um, the, the set me free project, you can catch me at setmefreeproject.net. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also reach me at stephanieolson.com. And that's kind of my speaking and podcast work, but um, the prevention education, human trafficking is um, setmefreeproject.net. And we do, we are, um, are working on packaging and selling our curriculum. And so there is um, a lot of opportunity to do what we're doing in any community um, and Ooh. it is much needed. So that's fantastic. Good for yeah. you. So yeah. that that is now work that can go into um, different areas. Yes. I think it was probably, it's got to be at least five or six years ago. Now I went to and heard a survivor of human trafficking mm-hmm. speak. And I think she had lived in Toronto, like with her traffickers, mm-hmm. like 10, 15 years she had lived in, yeah in this environment and nobody had a clue. Nobody knew. So she was really sharing what this picture looked like. And I remember it was being, it was so mind blowing. Cause again, it's almost easier to think that's, it happens like that in the movies. It's not right. right? Right. We just don't know until we hear. And at that time, I remember her explaining the stats and numbers for our area of where we are. And we live like in a nice area. Don't, which sometimes I'm not judging that, but that's just the way it is. And it's like this stretch of the highway is one of the worst in Canada for Mm -hmm. human trafficking. And I was like, what, Mm -hmm. how is that possible? Well, there's a lot of money 
yeah. there's a lot of like Money there's a power. lot of affluence mm-hmm. and it was it was very much mind blowing as she was starting to explain pieces of it so i know it's it's a global problem and we also it know is. it's very global pro- problem in communities that are more affluent At, it it truly is um i have a good friend who is a former fbi agent and she said it was always amazing because and she worked very specifically in um, counter trafficking. And she'd say, we'd bust somebody for trafficking and they were my neighbor, you know, they lived right down the street or, and, um, I think we have this mindset that it's happening in areas over there when Mm -hmm. truly it is really happening right under our nose and with social media in our homes. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's very, it's very real. Thank you for all of that information and for sharing all of that with us and for the work that you do. I've absolutely loved this conversation and I have one more question for you. Yes. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? Whoa, that's a good question. Um, Okay. I have to give this a little thought because- I love stumping people. I know (laughs) that's not, it does not happen very often with me. You don't make me speechless very often. (laughs) You know, I, I think the, the biggest lesson I learned and, and I have a very strong faith and, um, that's really important to me is that, that I don't have to be the one to do it all. Um, that was probably the biggest lesson that I ever learned. I'm still learning that every day. Cause sometimes I'll try and take it all on myself. And then just to be able to surrender that I think has been huge. Mm, I can so relate to that message. Yeah. Is, and I still laugh at myself many times yeah. as, you know, people in my life or even my husband's like, uh, I, you do not have to do this all by yourself, but I <laughs> can, but I can. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> yeah, sometimes our support system actually sees that very before we do, but yes. Yes. Yeah. More often, more often than not. Oh, thank you so much for this. Oh, this has conversation. been great. Thank you for having me. I have really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the own your choices Own your life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.